1: How we doing? Good. Good. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald. I am one of the pastors here at the church, uh, and I am really, really excited that I get to open up uh, God's perfect and precious word uh, with you this morning. Well, if you can believe it, <clears throat> almost eight years ago now, uh, we planted Gospel Community Church. Can you believe that? Yeah. 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 Um, during, <laughs> during that first year, not only did we Uh, Get this great blessing of being able to to plant and uh, and pastor a church But my wife and I got another great blessing our uh, our first daughter Lydia And um, there was a lot of complications uh, surrounding uh, little Lydia Um, My wife ended up having to go into the hospital and be on bed rest Um, and then uh, They needed to go ahead and and induce Chelsea so that Lydia could come and uh, even though it was really really early Uh, It was six weeks early and Lydia was born and she was three pounds. Uh, When Lydia came out, I could hold my daughter in the palm of my hand and she had to go in this little special isolate unit uh, where they like shine these special lights on her and uh, she actually got even smaller. She got down to two pounds and three quarter ounces, just really, really small. And so uh, obviously, my wife and I just, we desperately wanted to, to get our daughter home. That's that's all that we wanted. Um, and so the doctors kept saying she, she can go home, and, and here's the criteria on which that she can go home. She's gotta grow. She's gotta grow. She needs to grow. And so uh, they, they had this tube that went down into her stomach, and, and the, the whole trick was, like, she needed to, to sleep so that she could grow, but she also needed to eat so she could grow. And so the trick was keeping her awake long enough so that she could eat, so that she could go back to sleep and grow. But she had to keep her awake because she would like fall asleep in the middle of eating. And so it was like this back and forth, back and forth. And this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And so they're looking, what the doctors were doing is they were constantly day by day assessing Lydia um, on, her, on her state of growth. They were looking at where she had been uh, and where she was going, all with this idea of if Lydia's going to go home, she's got to grow. Uh, she, she needs to be in this certain kind of pound range. She needs to be Able to stay awake long enough so that she could eat. There was this criteria in which they were measuring her growth. She had to be big enough to sit in the car seat because if she couldn't sit in the little car seat, which again, like imagine a, a, a baby-sized car seat with a little tiny baby and it, it wasn't going to work. So she had to get big enough to sit in the car seat. She had to stay awake long enough. She had to have a good heartbeat. Good you know, like lungs had to be strong. All of that, the doctors were assessing her growth in order so uh, Lydia could could go home. What we see here in the text today is um, the the apostle Paul is standing in the place of the great physician, and he is assessing the growth rate of the Corinthian church. See, I don't I don't know if you know this church family, but you, you need to grow, Christians here this morning. You need to just say that out loud. I need to grow. I need to grow we as Christians we are built for growth that's what we're supposed to be doing and so the Apostle Paul here has made this assessment about the the growth trajectory or the growth rate of uh, the church in Corinth and it's not good (laughs) it's it's not what the Apostle Paul has to say this morning is a rebuke it's a rebuke anybody have been rebuked before Right? Anybody? Anybody? This morning, know they need to be rebuked. Okay. Nobody. Oh, I got some people in the back. Brave enough to raise their hand on that one. So, so sometimes we we need to be rebuked. And so, what we have in the text this morning is this this assessment of the growth of the Corinthian church. The apostle Paul sees that it is severely lacking. They they are not anywhere close to where they need to be. And so he rebukes them. Uh, and so. <laughs> If the text is giving a rebuke to the Corinthian church, what does that mean for us this morning? Oh, man, we get rebuked today in Jesus' name. So if you came this morning to be encouraged in the Lord, I hope you're encouraged in the Lord by receiving a rebuke.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> See, the, the problem is when, when rebuke comes... Um, okay, so if, if you're new to, like, church and not sure what I mean when I say rebuke, I mean pointing out your spiritual flaws. When somebody comes to you and points out your spiritual flaws, uh, that is that is a rebuke. And, and oftentimes what happens is what we like to do is we like to take about three steps back and, and say to that person, oh, well, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up to me because there's some things about you that I'd like to talk about. <laughs> Instead of actually receiving that rebuke, we take that as an opportunity to point out their rebuke, which which actually, church family, makes no sense at all because even if you are absolutely accurate in your assessment of their problems, that does not nullify yours. That's
0: right.
1: Nope, I, I got a few amens on that. Nobody, somebody said, come on, nobody said amen. But, but I, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that, man. I'm going with that one. So, so, so even though you can uh, you know, push back on that rebuke by pointing out their faults, it does not mean that the faults that they pointed out in you aren't valid. And, and so like we... We're we're in this culture now to where um, it's 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 all about it's this phrase that irritates the life of it. You do you, you know, Oh, you, you so it's so, I, I, look. I'm gonna do me and you do you. And what Christian needs to say is I, I don't do me. I follow Christ. Amen. Uh, and so okay, I'm I gotta get I gotta get to the notes today. I'm so here here's what. Uh, We're going to see in our text today. Here is uh, is what we are going to discover. It's it's okay to act like a baby if you're a baby, (laughs) right? If you're if you're a baby, it's okay to act like a baby. That's what you're expected to do because that's what you are. But if you are not a baby, it's not okay to act like a baby. And and that's what the Apostle Paul is, uh, is getting at. He wants them to grow. He expects them to grow. So what does it mean to grow? How do we grow? I'm glad you asked right here at the top of the sermon. Here's what we need to know. If we want to grow in our Christian faith, we need orthodox information, a commitment to application, and supernatural intervention. We need orthodox information. What do I mean orthodox? Orthodox simply means right information. Um, did you know that the Mormons have doctrine? They do. Jehovah's Witnesses have doctrine. Uh, 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 Muslims have doctrine. But what we need in order for us to grow is orthodox doctrine, or right doctrine, or true doctrine, or doctrine that aligns with God's word. That's that's where it, that's where it begins. We need to be inputting proper doctrine, proper information into our spiritual lives, i.e. putting the seed in the ground. See, I'm getting to the text. I can't get to the text just yet, but I, I will get there. Putting the seed in the ground. And then what we need next is a commitment to application. That'd be watering, again, from the text. So we commitment to application, what do I mean? <clears throat> I mean, As we go to the text and the text says, um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he gave himself up for her, that he might present her to God uh, spotless and blemished, like with no blemishes. What? Okay, we understand the doctrine of that. That is the doctrine of Christ's death for his church. We understand that now husbands must sacrifice themselves for their wives. All of that is doctrine and theology, but we must be committed to application of that taking that home and figuring out how that works with you. So, like, so, so you might say, okay, well, what does it look like for me to die daily for my wife? Well, I don't know. That's work that you have to do. You have to be committed to that application. So when the text says um, love one another, talking about loving one another in, in the church body, well, okay, let's apply that text. How does that work? Okay, well, what kind of church is it? Where is the church? Is it an affluent church? Is it a non-affluent church? Is it, uh, is it a church with people with lots of kids? Or a, so, so the application part we have to be committed to because you've got to get down in the trenches of life to figure out how God's word applies, Amen. That, that's the hard work. So it's not just um, orthodox information. It's a commitment to application coupled with, are y'all sit with me? Yeah. Yeah. Coupled with the third part, which is a supernatural intervention. Because you can listen to all the podcasts, you can read all the books, you can input all the orthodox information. You can then do, uh, make charts and graphs about ten things that you need to change in your life in order to apply the orthodox information. But if the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit does not sweep into your life, you will not be changed and you will not grow. You need all three. You, you need orthodox information. Uh, you need a commitment to applying that in your life. And you can do those two things, and, and unless, unless God breaks in and does something, nothing's going to happen. And so all of that is what, is what leans itself or, or, or gives itself into growth, into Christian growth, which the Apostle Paul expects that you will be doing. Okay, we've got to get to the text today. Uh, I, I want to summarize um, chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 9 for us today. <clears throat> I want to give us a summary just so we can understand. So this text is about Christian growth. Um, it's also about the, the role of the minister uh, as, as it relates to or as it connects to uh, Christian growth. So if you'd like a summary uh, for verses 1 through 9 in chapter 3, it goes something like this. A pastor's proper place. Did you know a pastor has a proper place in the church? <laughs> so, um, so some some try to put themselves and some pastors put themselves in an improper place in the church other times what happens is the people in the church try to push the pastor into an improper place but there is a proper place for a pastor in the church and here's what it is a pastor's proper place is that of a servant underline that three four five six seven times is that of a servant so that god So that who? God gets the glory for what? Growing his people as they strive to grow. The pastors in this church cannot make you grow. Uh, We cannot preach you into growing. We cannot counsel you into growing. We cannot coach you into growing. We cannot prod you into growing. We can't yell at you into growing. It's impossible for us to do. So a pastor's proper place is then just to serve the church congregation. Yes, we serve by preaching, but we, we must leave it there and then ask God to bring the growth. Yes, pastors serve through, through sitting with you and counseling you uh, through your troubled marriage, but then the pastor must leave it there and ask God to bring the growth. Yes, a pastor can set up systems and structures so that there are community groups and ways that you can connect with other brothers and sisters of Christ, but we must leave it there and ask God to bring the growth. A pastor's proper place is just to serve so that God gets glory for bringing the growth, right? God brings the growth, period, paragraph. But that does not mean that Christians and pastors should then do nothing. It doesn't mean that we go, all right, well, God brings the growth. If I'm going to become more mature as a believer, I'm just I, I'm just sitting around and wait. on. I'm just going to turn on Netflix and hang out here until God shows up and does something, you know? No, no, no. We still strive for growing. We still strive for growing. That's why he says in the text, I planted, Apollos watered. They were doing something. They were actively cultivating, but it is God who still brings the growth. All right, y'all ready to get into the text? Okay, we're, we're going there, whether you want to or not. Here we go. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 1 says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Okay, what does that mean? but as people of the flesh. Okay, what are people of the flesh? As infants in Christ. He goes on to say, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it, and even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Okay, what I want to begin doing, um, I want to answer a theological question that that kind of plagued my mind a little bit until I figured it out so that I could actually get to the meaning of the text. There's a a little theological... um, Uh, inquiry here that we, we need to go after because the question needs to be, is he speaking to people who are saved or not saved? Do you see how that's kind of confusing in the text? Look look back at it again. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. So I couldn't talk to you like you, you like spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, not as infants of Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. Even now you're not ready for you are still in the flesh. So are they in Christ or are they in the flesh? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> it's, it's confusing, isn't it? So I feel like we need to answer that before uh, we can kind of move on. So just look back at verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. What, is spirit, what, is, what does Paul mean when he says spiritual people? Now, there's a lot of people that go around saying I'm a very spiritual person. Uh, but but I, I'm not sure if they mean what the Apostle Paul means. What the Apostle Paul means is that you are filled with, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what he means, okay? He means that you have looked on the cross of Christ, you have accepted Jesus Christ for for his, for his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection. You've placed your faith on him to be saved from the coming wrath of God. And at that moment, you are filled or indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That is a spiritual Person, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. He couldn't speak to them as if they were Christians. Now, that doesn't mean that they weren't Christians, but he just couldn't speak to them as if they were. But as people of the flesh, as opposed to people of the spirit, non-Christians. He spoke to them, look, as infants, just, you can underline that or just get that next little phrase in your mind. In Christ, I fed you with milk, not spiritual food, Right. So the, the question being, does Paul believe that someone can accept Jesus as their Savior and not as their Lord? You ever heard that before? If, if you're from the old school church, they might call it carnal Christianity. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, most, most of you guys are too young for that. Um, so, so what he says is, um, what what can a Christian— Accept Jesus as Savior, meaning like, yes, I believe on Jesus. He saved me from my sins, but not accept him as Lord, meaning they've decided to follow him uh, with their whole life. Does the Apostle Paul believe that? I would say no. Understanding the rest of the writings of the Apostle Paul, it is impossible to be a Christian in name only. It's impossible to be a Christian in name only. If your life is not devoted to Jesus, then you are not a Christian. If your life is not devoted to Jesus. So you can't say, well, I'm a Christian. Okay, uh, do, do you go to church? No, nah, not really. You read your Bible? No. Uh, d- pray? Uh, sometimes if I find myself in a jam, you know. Uh, uh, do you love Jesus? Uh, you know, sort of, kind of, not. So unless your life bears evidence that you're a Christian, you're not a Christian. Now, it's not works that save you, but if you are saved, there will be works in your life, okay? So <clears throat> here's what's happening in this text, the Christian life is full of progression and regression. What it seems like was happening in the church in Corinth is they had come to faith, which is a huge step forward. They began to progress in their faith. But because of their pride, which if you've been walking with us in this series, you understand that these are people filled with pride. So they came to faith. They began to progress forward in their faith. But because of pride in their lives, it led to division in the church, and it disrupted their spiritual progress, and they begin to regress. So these people are in Christ, they are Christians, some of them, but they're they're either stagnant or regressing, and the Apostle Paul is coming with a rebuke at them to get them back moving forward, progressing, okay? Does that answer that question? I hope I've made it clear as mud. Here we go. So what he um, goes on to say here, look back at verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants... In Christ. From verse one, there there comes this piercing question that we need, to, we need to pause and answer honestly, deep in the depths of our own hearts. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I with the Lord? Am I progressing in my faith? Are, are you just out of your mind excited that you're a Christian this morning? Some people get to say yes. Some people get to say, I am out of my mind, excited to be a Christian. Jesus saved me. Jesus loves me. He went to the cross for me. I get the Bible. I get a church family. This is amazing. You're progressing in your faith. You're learning more and more deep Bible doctrine. You got books at home, like real books with pages and stuff that that you actually read. It's crazy, right? You're not scrolling. You're flipping. I mean, it's, it's insane what you do. You you're reading about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, and that gets you fired up. You're progressing in your faith. Is that you this morning? Amen. Yeah. That's some of us. Others of us, not so much. It's stagnant. It's just going through the motions. Sunday again, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go. Once I get there, I know it's going to be fine. I'm going to see people that I know and like, and I'll sing the music, and maybe something will get stirred, maybe it won't, and I'll go home, I'll go to lunch, and then Monday I'll just start the whole cycle over again. Stagnant. Third, regression. Not progression, not stagnant, but regressing. Back into sinful patterns, back into sinful ways of thought, back into sinful ways of life. Where are you this morning with the Lord? Paul is addressing directly where the Corinthians were. The question that you must ask is, where am I with the Lord? Verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. For a people, for a people who thought they were all that, for a people who were spiritually prideful, for a people who were actually very gifted— For for a people who had church services that would just go on and on and people were displaying their spiritual gifts and they thought they, I mean, they just thought they were amazing. You have to see how deep this cuts. You have to see how how sharp this would have been coming from the Apostle Paul. And it's really the second part of it, right? I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. If it just paused right there, you could say, of course. Well, they were spiritual babies and, and of course they had to get fed with spiritual milk, but it's been four or five years now since the Apostle Paul left. That's why the the sting of of this verse comes here, and even now you are not yet ready. You're still not progressing. You're still not growing. You still haven't moved forward. Okay, what is spiritual milk? What is spiritual milk? I want to answer that question Um, because it was a question that was plaguing me, because what does he mean when he says milk um, versus spiritual food? Well, the problem is, uh, if you're trying to answer that question, there's not really a clear answer in this particular section of text. So what can we do, church family? Yeah, let's let's look somewhere else in the New Testament to see if it gives us this idea of spiritual milk and spiritual food or, or, or solid food or meat, Because if if it can do that, then it can help shed some light on this text when he talks about milk and solid food. Can we do that? Okay, so so I know we're working this text. We're going to jump over to Hebrews and we're going to work that text and then we're going to jump back. Can you all stay with me? Okay, let's do that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to get into uh, Hebrews chapter 5 verse uh, 11. Here's what uh, uh, the author of Hebrews, which we're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Again, not very nice, but uh, another rebuke that maybe some of us need to hear. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time. There's a a time frame where there's supposed to be progression in your Christian faith. By this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again. Here we go. Listen to this. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. There it is. Okay, so we found it here in Hebrews, not solid food. So so the author of Hebrews is talking about the exact same thing the Apostle Paul is, and what he does in chapter 6 of Hebrews is he goes on to give us a list. We're not there yet. Hang on. Let me finish reading uh, chapter 5. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice... Or we could say a commitment to application, which we talked about earlier in the sermon, but the Bible says it better here than I did. So uh, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter six, uh, Hebrews chapter six, look at verse one. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying a foundation of, of dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about uh, washings and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Okay, if you don't know the book of Hebrews, it's kind of a chunk, okay? It, it's huge, it's weighty, there's, there's lots of stuff in here. Okay, uh, just, let's, let's focus on one and two in chapter six from Hebrews. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Do not think that this, this term elementary doctrine is derogatory, He's not saying, um, let us leave behind all that simple kiddie stuff. No, no. Why am I saying that? Well, because he goes on, look down at the rest of the verse, laying again a foundation, foundation. So yes, it is elementary. Yes, it is basic, but it is also foundational. You see that? Okay, so I think there are, there are easily five things here that what we could classify as spiritual milk or the basic truths or the basic doctrines of Christianity. Let's, let's look at this. I think there's at least five here. Not laying again. First, the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Number one, that, that is the number one, uh, that's the, the first sip of milk that you give the baby. The repentance, repentance from dead works. All of those times that you were trying to work to please God, that you were trying to work to get God to love you, all those times you were trying to be a nice person or a good person so that God would see you and he would love you and he would accept you into his kingdom, you repent of all that foolishness because even our best works are as filthy rags before the Lord. You you repent of all that stuff and you accept Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Right? This is basic doctrine, people. You guys should know this. This is simple milk, basic doctrine. Right. So he goes on to, to the, the next thing. Uh, 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 from dead works and faith towards God, verse 2, and instructions about washings. Come on, you guys are spiritual people. You know what that means. Instructions about washings, right? Anybody shower this morning? In Jesus' name, you know. We hope you did that before you came to church. The person next to you knows. Um, look, look at the footnote there. So what he says is, and instructions about washings. Uh, Who's reading the ESV? You reading the ESV? Okay, cool. There should be a little footnote in my Bible. It's got a little number three. We jump down. Oh, sorry. If we jump down to the footnotes, you have to push up your glasses. Ooh, like a nerd. And then you, then you jump down to the footnotes, or baptism. Okay, that makes it pretty simple. So uh, first. Faith in Christ alone, not on works. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And your next step as a believer is, if you have placed your faith on Jesus Christ, your next step as a believer is to get baptized. It's to get baptized. Why? Because it is a public declaration of an inward change. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration. It's saying to everybody in the church congregation, I have chosen to follow Christ. I want to be for Christ. Jesus is my king. And just like Jesus went into the tomb and was buried there but then came back out, the believer goes into the water as a representation of that tomb. Then the believer comes up out of the water as a representation of resurrection. Okay? Okay? right? I mean, this is basic doctrine stuff. You guys know this. You guys are good Bible people ready for solid food. Look at what he says next. In the instruction about washings, the laying on of hands. Ooh, what's that one? The, that's number three, the laying on of hands. Oh, <laughs> no, it is not talking about the righteous right hand of fellowship upside somebody's head. Uh, not that kind of laying on of hands. What it, what it's talking about Is All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in order to impart the Holy Spirit as a show of a sign They would lay on hands They would lay on hands and the Holy Spirit would come upon that person in the Old Testament and they would go on to do mighty works of God so so milk is Salvation salvation through faith in Christ alone Getting baptized in 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 accordance with the commands of Jesus next understanding that once you are saved you have been filled with the holy spirit you've been filled with the holy spirit you get the gifts of the holy spirit you you now have gifts to minister to other people to minister to the church right this is basic milk this is basic milk look at it look at what happens next instruction on washings laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead this oh this one I'm about to start dancing right now. Here we go. The resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? It means that um, one day Jesus will return. Upon Jesus' return, there will be a great resurrection from the dead. People's bodies will literally, I mean literally, come up out of the grave, but they won't be all busted, broken, and nasty, and falling apart. There will be brand new resurrection bodies, and our souls will be reunited with our resurrection bodies, and we will spend eternity ruling and reigning with King Jesus forever. In Jesus' name. Right? This is basic milk doctrine. This is milk. This is what we're, this is what we're talking about. And the, and the last one. And the last one, because we've got to move. And eternal judgment. Do you see all five of those there? Do you see all five of them there? Eternal judgment. That when Jesus does return, and those who are called uh, by him, th- those who are saved, those who are Christians in their resurrection bodies, there's also those who have chosen to deny Christ. And they will be judged. The, those people who said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, Jesus will say, okay, then I will have nothing to do with you, and they will be cast away from his presence forever in a real place of eternal conscious torment called hell. Okay, That's milk. That's, that's basic Bible um, doctrine. Okay, do we answer that question? What is milk? Okay, let's, back to our text. You guys still with me? Back to our text. I blacked out there for a minute. I don't know where we are. Here we go. <laughs> I fed you with milk not solid food. So then, if we just describe what milk is, then solid food would be um, the doctrines beyond that and the doctrines built on top of that. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, so, so that's what then solid food would be. And what, what he says to them is that even now, you are not ready. You're not ready. Paul's been gone four to five years. They, they've either stagnated or regressed. He said, I showed up, I gave you the milk, but... And now, five years later, you're still not eating steak. Why aren't you eating steak? What's, do, do you see Like the, the access? Do you understand the access um, that, that these people had? They had access to the Apostle Paul. right? The dude who writes Romans. The, the dude who writes all these great epistles. The, the guy that had seen Jesus with his own eyes on the road to Damascus and been personally called by him. Not only that, they, this church had access to Peter. Peter, like the number one dude, right there with Jesus. Peter could have like told him first-hand stories. They didn't have to read it. They got first-hand stories from Peter. There's, there's Peter. Like, hey guys, look, I told him he didn't have to go to the cross, and he turned around and rebuked me, called me Satan. I don't know what to tell you. The cross is pretty important. So they were getting these first-hand stories from Peter. There's also they, they get access to Apollos. Apollos, made just a fantastic preacher man this guy was so powerful that the church in Corinth had access to Priscilla and Aquila this husband and wife dynamic duo team that that just loved people served people taught Bible classes to people there in the church they had all this access to all these people yet they were still not progressing in their faith in the same way church family we have podcasts We, we got we got All kind of access. We got books and Amazon and, you know, you can get the Bible on your phone and on your Kindle and on your, you know, we've got so much access to God's word. We've got so much access to good Bible teaching. We've got so much access to good resources, yet some of us are still not growing. We're, we're not progressing. We're, we're still over here sipping milk, and we need to be taking that milk and applying it so that we can grow up into maturity, so we can sit down and actually eat a solid <clears throat> meal, if you're taking notes. If you think one spiritual meal a week is going to be enough, you are seriously mistaken. Some of us show up on Sunday, and, and the pastor's job, look, it is our job to take the text, to prepare the text. I mean, you can think about it like like... Making a meal, you know, we we spend time with the tech, we get the ingredients in there, we're putting there, we're cooking this joker up, we want it to be good so that when you come in, we go, boom, here it is, you got it, boom, we fed you. And then what you're supposed to do is leave out of here and go feed yourself. Because if you think one spiritual, just try that physically. Try one good home-cooked meal a week and see what happens to you physically. The same thing is happening to many of us spiritually. So some of us in the room are still on uh, chicken nugget doctrine. Some of us in the room are still on mac and cheese theology. Some of us here today are on applesauce and juice box doctrine. When you need to jump into that ribeye theology, you need some sirloin doctrine. You need some pork tenderloin doctrine. You need some porterhouse theology so that you can grow up. Amen. And it's available. It's available in Jesus. we got to move. Verse 3. <laughs> for, <clears throat> for you are still... Of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and only behaving in a human way? So they had not even properly digested the milk. Do you see that? So he doesn't just attack the fact that they didn't know enough. He's not saying you didn't know enough, therefore you're not mature. No, no. The reason that they were acting fleshly is because not you're empty-headed, he attacks a moral problem, jealousy and strife. You haven't applied the milk of the gospel. The, the gospel annihilates jealousy, if you rightly understand it. Amen, church family, anybody? you looking at me like I'm crazy, like you don't know that. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have more than anything we could ever need. We have all, we have Oh, Ephesians says it. Uh, it, it. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians chapter 1. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, how insane is it that we are jealous of anyone else? We have Jesus. Uh, they got a better marriage. Don't matter. We got Jesus. They got a bigger house. Doesn't matter. We got Jesus. They got a nicer car. Doesn't matter. You know, they look better. They smell better. Their teeth are way better than mine. Doesn't matter. We got Jesus. So jealousy, when, when he says, look, I mean, just look, look back at it. For you are still in the flesh for a while. There is jealousy and strife. There's, they're jealous about each other and, and they're arguing. They're going back and forth when the cross of Jesus Christ says we're united as one. Therefore, there should not be any strife. Amen. They weren't digesting the milk that he had given them to drink. Therefore, they weren't growing. Therefore, they couldn't eat solid food. That's what, that's what he goes on. To say they had the gospel, they knew it. They were supposed to be people of the cross, yet they were jealous, yet they were filled with Verse for. <clears throat> for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Right, we've heard this before. Uh, flip back over to uh, chapter 1. He says this, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are you baptized in the name of Paul? He's already said this, and now he's picking it up again and just readdressing it and getting down to the heart of the matter. You guys need to be growing, and you're not growing. You're being babies, is what he's saying, because of the, how you're acting, and, and you're dividing yourselves up into all of these uh, all of these little camps. You see, Paul didn't teach something different than Apollos. Paul didn't teach something different than Peter, but yet the people in the church are dividing up into these factions under their favorite preachers, uh, under the guys that um, that they wanted to follow. They created clubs around status, and then they slapped the name of their favorite preacher onto it to attempt to gain greater status. You see, this church was all about, um, you know, if, if you are... Uh, talented and handsome and you got money you, you can kind of be friends with you can, you can hang out in our little clique but if you're over here and you're kind of like messed up and like let people know that you know you don't got it going on and you don't have a whole lot of money you have to go sit in the other room I mean it was literally divided uh, as they would meet in houses uh, by class systems within the Christian church Rich people got, you know, the best of the meal and they got the best of the wine as they sat around the table together. And the the poor people that would show up at the church, they had to sit in the room over there and they got the table scraps. I mean, how anti-gospel could they be? How childish and baby-like and foolish could they be dividing up under these these factions in this way and creating this class system within the church? And so Paul is sharply and clearly rebuking them. You see, the very thing that they thought was making them more spiritual, you see that? Oh, I, I am with Paul. Mm. Oh, I bet you like Apollos. Huh. You know, the thing that they thought was making them more spiritual was actually showing that they weren't that spiritual at all. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Now, what he wants to do now is because they've created these divisions up underneath the, the pastors in the church, is he wants to put pastors in their proper place. Again, remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said pastors have a proper place. Sometimes pastors get into an improper place because they put themselves there. They decide they're no longer servants of the sheep. They decide to instead fleece the flock. <laughs> so sometimes they, pastors will put themselves in an improper place in the church. Other times they get in the improper place because the people in the church uh, place improper demands on the pastor and therefore putting him in an improper place. Okay? So he wants to make sure that they know what pastors are and what pastors are actually supposed to do verse 5 what then is apollo's what is paul do you see how even at the beginning he depersonalizes it what what is shouldn't he have said who no what 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 are they what are he depersonalizes them he he immediately for those who have put the pastors on way too high of a pedestal, he just walks up and goes, pop, and kicks that pedestal right over. Who, not who, but what? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? What are they? Servants, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now, the term servant here, you know what it means? Table waiter. It means table waiter. It means means the, the dude who brings the food. That's it. That's all that he does. He's he's just a dude that brings the food. Now, if you will, uh, go with me on this imaginary journey. Imagine you go to a fancy restaurant and you eat an amazing meal with people that you love and you've laughed and had a great time. And the people that you're with start thanking the waiter for the amazing meal. All of a sudden, they're telling the waiter how delicious the food was they explain to the waiter that each bite just exploded with flavor they even give the waiter a huge tip because the meal was so amazing they hug the waiter and hang on to the waiter just long enough to make it awkward then they get a selfie with the waiter they ask the waiter if they can name their firstborn child after him because the meal was so amazing and you're sitting there going what about the chef The chef cooked the meal. All this guy did was walk up and ask you what you wanted. He walked back there. The chef did all the work and he just brought it out, yet they're pouring all the praise onto the waiter. What about the chef? That's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, what about the chef? We're just the waiters. Don't praise us. What are we? We're just servants. We're just bringing the food. You know, like look, this is what we do week by week. We open up this book and we just say what it says. That's what Pastor David does. That's what Pastor Ben does. That's what I try to do. That's all we're doing. And so if you are ever blessed by anything that any of us ever say it's because God spoke to you through his word Amen. not be, not because we had something witty or clever or helpful to say it's just coming from God's from God's word but before before you move over into the camp to think pastors are totally pointless and maybe maybe that's you this morning th- there's there's something else to it because there's another group that not just wants to elevate pastors beyond where they're supposed to be there's actually another group that says we don't really need them at all. D- did you see that? Um, in, that would be back in, in 1 Corinthians when we read uh, 12 <clears throat> through 13, where I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas. What was that last group saying? Oh, I follow, oh, I follow Christ. Huh. I am way more spiritual than you. I don't even need those guys. <laughs> Do you see? So, so some can, can put pastors way up, way up here, like way beyond where they're supposed to be, and then other people can devalue them all together. And so what, what he wants to do is make sure we're getting a balanced view, a balanced understanding. Because yes, he's he's about to say, Who are we? We're nothing. But doesn't the Bible also say that those who labor in preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor? Double honor. So it's he he wants these Corinthians to have a proper perspective. Look at the end of this verse. What then is Apollos? What is Paul's servants Through whom you believed, listen to the last part of verse 5, as the Lord assigned to each. Not only does the Lord predestine those whom he is going to save, he also predestines the way in which they would be saved. And so before the foundations of the world, God said, I'm going to save people through Paul. Paul's going to go into Corinthians, he's going to preach the word, and they are going to respond. He assigned those people to Paul, and he also assigned people to Apollo. So as Apollo shows up and and Apollo starts preaching, people get saved because that's the means in which God uses. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Man, that's the heart of this whole text. That's the heart of this text. He says, I planted, meaning he was the one that comes in, um, gives them the gospel message, starts to gather them, starts to teach them, starts to train them. But, but Paul is a catalytic church planner. He's the catalyst. So he's got to move on and go plant another church. And so they raise up this guy, Apollos. Apollos comes in and he continues to teach, continues to preach. I imagine that um, if he's doing that type of watering work, he's probably building systems and structures in the church. He's probably setting up community group leaders. He's probably making sure they've got a counseling ministry. Uh, he's probably making sure the widows and orphans in the church are taken care of. He's appointing deacons. He's doing all that kind of work. Paul comes in, plants the thing, boom, hands it off to Apollos. So one did this kind of work. Another did this kind of work. But if God doesn't come in, nothing's going to grow. Amen. But it was the means of Paul and Apollos that God decided to grow it. Do you see how that works? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful symphony of how all of it is uh, coming together. If you're taking notes, though we are not very impressive and well put together, God, by his grace, has assigned us work to do. Yeah. Paul had a work to do. Apollos had a work to do. If you're here this morning, church family, and you love Jesus and you're seeking to grow in him, God's got a work for you to do. Amen. And that's really, really exciting. Another note, if you're, if you're jotting things down, from these verses, we also see that without God, we cannot grow and without our effort, God will not see fit to grow us. Without God, we cannot grow. But without our effort, it's not our effort that grows us, it's only God. But how we, as we strive, as, as we're pressing towards, I'm, I'm going to go read these theology books. I'm going to go sit down at, at, at coffee with this brother or sister, and we're going to talk about the things of the Lord. I'm going to get with my DNA group, or I'm going to go to community group. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a quiet time. As we're doing those striving things, it's those means that God decides, all right, I'm going to grow this person through that. Okay, verse 7. We're almost done. So neither he who plants nor he who waters has anything but only God who gives the growth. Listen, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with, with Paul here. I, I'm, I'm not anything. Pastor David is not anything. Pastor Ben is not anything. That's why we rule or kind of run the, the duties of elders together. We, we have strived very hard to what's called decentralize. So listen, everything does not rise and fall on me. I hope, by God's grace, if tomorrow I get hit by a bus, uh, one of these two men step right into this pulpit, and by God's grace, Gospel Community Church keeps going, and and people keep getting blessed, and people keep growing in the Lord, whether I'm here or not, because it's not about me. This is not the Kirk show. My final word does not go in elder meetings. I want you to know that because of of exactly what he's saying here in verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. He's they're creating these little groups. He's like, why are you creating little groups? Oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paul. We're one. We're working together, right? But we're we're on the same team. Don't try to divide us. You don't divide the pastors. Pastors are working towards one goal. That is to see you grow in the Lord. Verse 9 for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's what? Field, God's building. When he, when he says, again, he, he's building up all of this, this language. There, there's kind of been two metaphors in here. I don't know if you saw them. The first one was, was about a baby and milk. Then he shifts metaphors into this um, uh, agricultural metaphor where he's talking about planting seeds and watering. And then he ends it with this one uh, where he says, you are God's field. You're God's field. Meaning, God wants you to grow. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Okay, So Jesus goes, and Jesus heals uh, this dude who's blind. All of a sudden, the leaders start questioning, him. you know, like, who who is this guy that healed you? You know, isn't he that that sinner? Did he heal you on the Sabbath? We've heard all these things about Jesus. And this guy that that was blind, and, and now he can see, he doesn't know. He's just a baby Christian that just got saved. And do you remember what he says? He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know. Once I was blind, but now I can see. That's amazing. That's amazing. For a baby Christian to say. If you go back five years from now and you say, hey man, Jesus healed you and gave you sight. What do you think about Jesus? I don't know anything about Jesus. Once I was blind and now I can see. Uh, No, 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 no. You're supposed to be growing. You're a field. You're a plant that's been put into the ground that's been watered. and, And you're supposed to be growing in the Lord. Growing in the Lord, becoming more and more like Christ okay that's me done. I, I want to give uh, three closing thoughts and then I'll be out of your hair. number one be honest about where you are in the Lord. God knows where you are. I mean he knows where you are it's really a question of whether or not you have the courage to be honest with yourself i mean I, i'm not I'm not that but I'm not that far I'm not, now, be, be real. Get, get serious with yourself about where you really are with the Lord. Again, we talked about those three stages of progressing, being excited that you're a Christian, knowing that you're growing in the Lord, you're, you're getting information, you're committed to application. right? Th- then we talked about that stagnant phase. You've just been going through the motions. And then we talked about regression, which is going back into those old patterns <laughs> of sin. Where are you this morning? Where are you? I know it's time for all of us to grow up, but if we're going to make those steps going forward growing up, we need to know where we are right now. Number two, get connected with other brothers to help you grow. That could be brothers and sisters to help you grow in the Lord. This is not a journey. Growth is not a journey we're supposed to do alone. Get with somebody to help you. Get with somebody to talk with you. As a matter of fact, if you really want to be courageous, like if you really want to step out there, Don't just get honest with yourself about where you are in the Lord, but why don't you ask somebody else where they think you are in the Lord? If you want to be real brave, ask your spouse. (laughs) Thirdly, and I'm out of here here. Take control of the time you have and use it for growing in the Lord. Now, I want to go on a real long rant about social media, but I'm not going to do that. I want to go on a real long rant about Netflix and Hulu, and, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, I could uh, go on a big long rant and tell you to look at that little app on your phone that says screen time and look at uh, your use of Instagram and Facebook versus your use of your Bible app. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm, I was going to do that, Charles, but I'm not going to do that this morning. <laughs> But I, but I am going to ask you to seriously search your heart about how you're using social media, how you're using technology, how you're using devices, because you can harness all of those for growth in the Lord. You can. And the question is, are you? Are you harnessing technology? Are you harnessing these things for growth in the Lord? Are you, are you leaning into them to escape from the world? Are you leaning into them and they're causing you to be filled with jealousy and envy and strife? because of what other people have or what other people are doing or what other people are saying. Be careful, church family. Leverage the time that you have. Leverage the devices that you have. Leverage what you have to grow in the Lord. To grow in the Lord. And we know from John chapter 15, John chapter 15, Jesus says this to to his disciples. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. May God light a holy fire in your heart to grow, to grow, to grow, and may the Lord himself supply that growth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for these amazing words found uh, in your holy scriptures and how they have ministered to us this morning uh, on the topic of what it means to grow in the Lord. I pray that we be a people who are striving, striving, pressing forward, uh, taking control of the time in which you have given us, uh, being seriously devoted uh, to our walk in our life with you. And Lord, out of all of these things, I pray that you would bring growth. Don't let us be stagnant. Don't let us regress, uh, but let us be walking in progressive sanctification on to the day of your great return or until we see you face to face. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.